That was just beautiful, wasn't it? The words and the voice. If you would, open your Bibles with me again to Job chapter 1. I want to preach this morning right where we live, right where the rubber meets the road. I've titled the message, Have You Considered My Servant Job? My text is verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man? one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Now the Lord asked Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? And this morning I want us to consider God's servant, Job. And as we consider Job, I want us not just to consider Job, but to consider ourselves. Now I know this from the word of God. Job is a believer. I know that because God says so. And if I'm a believer too, I'm going to be saved the same way Job was saved. For the same reasons that Job was saved. And I'll have many of the same experiences that Job experienced. The same thoughts and and things that, that Job had. Now when I gave you my title, if you considered my servant Job. Something went through everybody's mind. What we think of Job, doesn't it? Well, what is it that we think about? You and I think of That's where I want to start. What do we think about when we consider our brother Job? Well, I thought of four things worth mentioning. The first one is this. Job was a believer. He trusted the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. You know, at the beginning of the chapter, we read how he was offering sacrifices for his sons in case they had sinned in their hearts against God. And after the Lord took away everything, that he had physically. Once you look what Job said in verse 20 of chapter 1. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. When everything was taken away from him, he worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now the only way Job could worship the Lord and say these things from the heart after everything that had happened to him is if he truly trusted the Lord. If if Job just had a religious veneer, that would have got stripped away that day, wouldn't it? But it didn't. There's just no doubt Almighty God had given Job faith in Christ but now anytime God gives faith he's always going to try that faith always so that it's proven to be genuine faith Job's faith was tried wasn't it harder than anybody that we know his faith was tried and his faith was proven to be genuine faith he wouldn't give it up even when somebody tried to talk him out of it look over chapter 2 Verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God? 
and shall not receive evil? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now that is a man who truly trusts the Lord and bows to his will. After he was stricken with all these boils and all this, this awful pain, for him to be able to say that and mean it, that's a man who trusts God. That's a man who bows to God. And throughout this trial, we see Job demonstrate he had genuine faith in the Lord. He said, he also is become my salvation. He said the same thing David would say years later, the Lord has become my salvation. Job said this, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm going to trust him even if he kills me. And Job said this, I know my Redeemer liveth. By the time he got down there in chapter 19, Job was starting to realize maybe he didn't know all that much, but he said, this I know. I know my Redeemer liveth. And he's going to stand at the latter days on this earth and with these eyes I'm going to see him. And he won't be another. He won't be a stranger. I'm going to know him. And he'll know me. Job said, I know that. I know my Redeemer liveth. I'm looking for him. I'm waiting for him. I can't wait till the day that I see him. Believers of every generation, things have happened and we do not understand. I don't understand why the Lord's doing what he's doing. I don't understand how he's going to bring good out of this. I don't understand what God's purpose is in this. But I can say this with Job. I trust him. I do know that. And one day I'm going to see him. One day I'm going to see him. That's what genuine faith says. Job had genuine faith. But now here's the second thing. Job truly trusted the Lord. There can't be any question about that. But he still found time to complain, didn't he? <laughs> you know, I'm not excusing it, but this is just so. I told you I'm wanting to preach right where we live. True faith and true complaining can be found in the same person. And I'll tell you why that's true. Because there's two natures in every believer. We have a nature that trusts God and we have a nature that can never trust Him. Job had such confidence in the Lord. That was genuine. He had, oh, he trusted the Lord. He said, I know my Redeemer liveth. Oh, any doubt about it. I know He liveth. He's becoming all, He has become all my salvation. And Job also said this, I feel so hopeless, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> what happened to trusting, what, what happened to trusting the Lord, Job? I don't know what I'm going to do. Job was so confident, he said, one day I'm going to see the Lord face to face. The same man said, I wish I'd never been born. He said, I trust the Lord. I trust him. But I'm telling you, the Lord is using his archers. He's using me for target practice. He's just shooting arrow after arrow after arrow at me and not one of them's missing. He's using me for target practice. He said, I just wish the Lord just kill me now. Job said this, the Lord's become my salvation. He also said, I wish I could go to the Lord and plead my case before him. <laughs> he said, I wish I could, but he won't hear my prayer. I can't find him. I look to the left, the right, before me, behind me. I, I, I can't find him. The Lord's hiding from me. He's promised to never leave me, forsake me, but the Lord's hiding from me. Job talked about how a man's days are few and full of trouble. Boy, he was right, wasn't he? They're few and full of trouble. He summed up our life on earth saying, 
Life is hard and then you die. That's, that's pretty much the sum of it, Job said. And he wasn't wrong. Physically speaking. Have you ever felt that way? We have. We have. Every believer who has been given true faith still has an old, sinful, complaining nature. Now that doesn't make our complaining right. We'll have to try to curb it as much as possible, but it's just so, isn't it? That, that's where we live. That's the truth of our situation. Here's the third thing. Job was a believer. I know that. I know he was a believer. But he still struggled with self-righteousness. Job knew that the Lord is all his salvation. He said so. But he also told his friends, now, I'm not wicked. (laughs) He told his friends, I'm not inferior to you. I'm just as good as you. I'm just as good as anybody. And Job wanted to make this clear to them. He said, this trial didn't happen to me because of any injustice on my, on my, on my hands. Job said, I was good to people. I was good to the poor. I was, a, I was a good father, a good husband. I helped the blind. I helped the lame. I was a father to the fatherless. He said, I was good to people. And all this still happened to me. Job, it's like he's saying, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, I did the right thing, but God still punished me. It must have been wrong for me to do the right thing, you know. Job said, I was kind and good neighbor, a good citizen, and good to people that needed help. But boy, they're not returning my kindness now. He said, I'm just a byword to them. He said, I see me. They, they see me. They're just mean to me. He said, oh, what Job has done. What God must be judged. What, what, what did Job do to bring this on himself? He's just a byword to him. And Job said, that's not fair. It's not fair. Why does this happen to me, not somebody else? This is not fair. This is what he told his friends. You weigh me in the balance and see. This isn't fair. God knows my integrity. (laughs) I'd just like to hug him around the neck, wouldn't you? (laughs) Now, you know those things that Job said about himself? They're true. And we should be able to honestly say those things about ourselves. I hope every person here can honestly say those things about yourself. I do help the less fortunate. I, I try to be kind to, to people and helpful to people. Um, there should be integrity in everything we do. We should not be dishonest people. There should be integrity in everything we do. We should be known as men and women of integrity. That we'll do the right thing even if it costs us. That should be true of every believer. That should be true of our conduct. But here's where the problem comes. When that conduct, it turns into self-righteousness, when we start thinking, I've done all this, now the Lord should bless me. I've done all this, and that should insulate me from trouble, that should insulate me from loss and trial, because I've done everything right. (laughs) When we expect to be blessed because we've done the right thing, that's when it becomes self-righteousness. If I expect to be blessed because of, of what I've done, the way I've done it, well, that's works, not grace, isn't it? That's dependent on my works, not, God, not God's grace. That's self-righteousness. Now, every believer knows this. We are saved by grace alone. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even begin to think our works have contributed to our salvation. We're saved by grace alone. You know that. I know you know that. 
But because we've got that old dead nature, we still struggle with self-righteousness, don't we? It's something that just rears its ugly head all the time. And it will, as long as we're in this flesh, because that's what this flesh is. All this flesh wants to trust in is itself. That's self-righteousness. Job was a believer. He struggled with self-righteousness. And we can't look down our noses at him, can we? No, because we're the same way. Here's the fourth thing we think about Job. Now, Job did these things. Said things he shouldn't have said. But the Lord didn't leave Job there. Job ended up hating himself for it. And he ended up begging God for, for forgiveness. Look at the chapter 42. Here's the, we read the beginning of the story. Let's skip over to the end of the story. At the end of this trial, you know, the Lord sent those, those friends of Job's to, to talk to him. Then the Lord spoke to Job. And when the Lord spoke, Job quit making excuses for himself. And he just started begging for forgiveness. Chapter 42, verse 1. This is after the Lord spent a couple chapters talking to Job. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. I was talking about things I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. These things were above my pay grade, and I took it upon me to talk about them. Here I beseech thee, and I'll speak. Now I demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, Job admitted God's the one who's in control of everything, and he should be. Everything he does is right, even this trial that hurt Job's flesh. Even though he didn't understand, he said it's right. It's right because God did it. He said, I just was talking about things I ought not have been talking about because I didn't understand them. Job said, I, oh, I wish I'd kept my mouth shut. I wish I'd kept my mouth shut. I'm just ashamed of myself. Boy, haven't we all been there. Mm-mm-mm. I know in times that I felt tried, I always remind myself to keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. But if you're a believer, you know exactly where Job's at. And if you don't, you will right soon. You will. Now, let me say this. In times of trial, you know, I said I tried to tell myself, keep your mouth shut. It's okay to say I hurt. It's okay to say I hurt. Our sister Dean, it's okay for our family today to say I hurt. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to say I need a little help. I need a little help. I need you to pray for him. I need some help. What we want to avoid is questioning God or saying it's unfair what God's done to me. That's what we want. That's what we want to avoid. Well, when you and I consider Job, that's what we that's what we consider. Those things came to our mind, didn't they? I'm, I'm sure they did. And that's what we think of Job. Because that's all we can see. All we can see is the flesh. All we can see is what people do, what people say. You know, we, we can't see what's in their heart. We can't see what they really mean. Well, here's the important thing. How did God see Job? Now, before God told Satan to consider Job, God had considered Job. How did God consider Job? 
See, that's what's important because how God sees Job, that's how Job really is. Because God looks on the heart and he sees things how they really are. Well, our text tells us how God sees Job. I can sum it up by saying this. Here's how God sees Job. He sees him in Christ. That's how he sees him. When Job sinned not with his lips, and when Job did sin with his lips, God saw Job in Christ. When Job didn't question what God was doing, and when God did, when Job did question what God was doing, God saw Job in Christ, always and only. Here's the first thing. God sees Job in Christ, so he sees Job as perfect. He tells Satan, there's, if you consider my servant Job, there's none like him in the earth. He's a perfect man. He's a perfect man. That word perfect means complete. It means lacking nothing. And it means innocent. Now God said Job's perfect. So he is. Isn't he? God says Job is complete. He doesn't lack one thing I require. He has everything that I require of him. Now we saw the different things that Job said. Job could not be complete in himself. He could not be. Now Job has faith, doesn't he? But it's incomplete. Job trusts the Lord, but that, that trust is incomplete. Sometimes Job trusts the Lord more than he trusts him than other times. Look over at Colossians chapter 2, and I'll tell you why God said Job is complete. Job is complete because he's complete in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 9. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead is in the body of Jesus of Nazareth and you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality power. A believer is complete. We're complete in Christ because Christ is everything that we need. He's all the fullness of God. The Lord Jesus Christ has made his people completely righteous. Not half righteous, completely righteous. He has made them completely sinless so that they have not sinned. They're completely holy. They're completely redeemed. The price is paid. They're complete. Now I told you one of the, the means this word perfect is innocent. God's elect are completely innocent. Completely. Now an innocent man is someone who has not broke the law. They've obeyed the law, right? When well, Adam, we're disobedient. In Adam, we disobeyed God, didn't we? But the believer is completely innocent. Because the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, obeyed the law for his people. And when he obeyed the law, so did they. Because they were in him. If you believe Christ, you are completely innocent. You haven't broken God's law one time. Now Job's perfect. He's innocent. innocent. That's what God said. Well, Job can't be innocent in himself. I mean, we already looked at so many things that he said and did. Job did many things that weren't perfect. But Job's perfection is not in anything Job did. And God saved you and me. Our perfect, we're perfect, just like Job. Perfect in Christ. And we need to remember this. Our perfection is not in anything we've done. 
all of our integrity and all of our helping the poor and all of our doing these things does not add to our innocence or our perfection or our completeness in any way. Our perfection is not in anything we've done. It's all in Christ. It's all in Him. That's how God saw Job. And that's how He sees all of His people. All right, number two, since God sees Job in Christ, He sees Job as upright. That's what He tells Satan. He's an upright man. Now that word upright means righteous. It's without sin. Now like I said earlier, I know Job, he tried to be a good father. And I'm sure he was. He tried to be a good husband. I'm sure he was. He said he was a good friend, a good neighbor. I'm sure he was. But Job was far from perfect. Job's works could never make him perfect. And remember now, when we're considering Job, we're considering ourselves. Our works can't make us perfect either, can they? Well, if all of our works are sinful, if everything I say, do, and think is sinful, how could God ever see me as perfect? Only by seeing us like he saw Job in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ made Job righteous by his obedience to the law for him as his representative. Christ made Job righteous by his sacrifice for Job's sin. God made Joseph or Job righteous. He took his sin away from him and put it on Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ put that sin away by the sacrifice of himself. Sin's gone. All that's left for God's people is righteousness. For he hath made him sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made what? The very righteousness of God in him. It's all in him. See, Job said, my Redeemer liveth. My Redeemer liveth. This is how Job was righteous. His Redeemer took his sin and died. And he rose again. Because that sin that had been laid on Christ was put away by his sacrifice. That's why his Redeemer liveth. The resurrection of Christ is proof positive. He made his people righteous. Now what's true of Job is true of every believer. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Righteous by the doing and dying of Christ our Savior. And just like Job, we ought to be good husbands and good wives. We ought to be good children, good friends, good neighbors. We should be known as kind and honest people of integrity. We ought to be known as people who reach out and help those who are in need. We should be known as that, as that kind of person. But that's not our righteousness. That doesn't contribute to our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. That's the only way God could see us as righteous is in Christ. And the father doesn't look at his people and see them as righteous. He sees they are righteous. They are righteous because that's what he made them. Isn't that a miracle? All right, here's the third thing. God sees Job in Christ, so he sees him as a man who fears God. He says he's one that feareth God. And that word feareth there, it means two things. It means reverence, and it also means afraid. Now, the believer doesn't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to be afraid of God punishing you for your sin because he's already poured out his wrath for your sin on our substitute. There's no wrath left in him. There's no fury left in him. All of God's hatred, 
All of God's justice for the sin of his people has already been poured out. There's none left. It's all been poured out on Christ our substitute. So a believer does not have to be afraid of our heavenly father. Perish the thought a child of God would be afraid of our father. But a believer does reverence God. They do reverence God. There's a reverence and a humility in worship. I've got to come and sit and hear. I've got to come. And even before we can sit and hear, we've got to have somebody. Dan had to get up and pray that the Lord even enable us to hear. That he'd be here, that he'd enable us to hear. There's a reverence and there's a humility in worship, isn't there? Job offered those sacrifices in reverence toward God. At the end of the chapter, when God spoke, oh, Job was reverent. He was reverent. And boy, that should be true of us. Oh, we should be reverent and humble people before God. We've come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. To worship. Well, I'm telling you, where there's no reverence, there's no worship. It's got to start with reverence. There's got to be reverence when the creature comes before the throne of the Almighty. There's got to be reverence in the place where God speaks to us. You know, the messages that we hear preached here. Now they're preached by men. Sinful men. Faulty men. But they're preached by men. God's given us this treasure in earthen vessels. But those messages, regardless of what you think of the preacher, those messages are messages from Almighty God. And they're not just a random message. They're the message that Almighty God would have you and me here in this very hour. In this very moment. Now if you have any idea what that means. This is God's message for me today. I'm telling you, we'll approach this time reverently. Reverently, prayerfully. The word means reverence, but it does also mean afraid. Now I said we don't have to be afraid of our Heavenly Father. Not at all. But a believer is still afraid. We reverence God and we're still afraid. Here's what the believer is afraid of. Trusting anything other than Christ alone. I'm so afraid of that. And I tell you why I'm afraid of it. Because that's what my old nature is trying to constantly get me to do. <laughs> Trust in something other than Christ alone. And when I look at my works. When I look at myself. my Who I am. What I am. I'm afraid to trust in myself. Aren't you? If God's given us any view of ourselves at all, we're afraid to trust ourselves. The believer fears trusting self. And in that way, fear is a good thing. Because if I'm afraid of trusting myself, what's that going to constantly make me do? Go to Christ. To look away from myself and look to Christ. To quit trusting in myself and look to Him and trust Him. Every believer is a man or a woman who fears God. Who fears Him. And then number four, God sees Job in Christ, so he sees him as a man, he says here, who eschews evil. Now that word eschews, it's not a word we typically use, but it means to turn away from, to turn away from evil. Now Job is no different than you and me, is it? He's born of the flesh just like you and me. He's got a nature that's drawn to sin and drawn to evil the same way we are. You and I drink iniquity 
like water. That's what scripture says about us. Drink iniquity like water. Iniquity comes naturally to my nature. That this water does to my flesh. We're drawn to evil like a moth to a flame. Well, how can God, who's, now he sees things as they are. How can God see us as people who eschew evil? It's only in Christ our representative, isn't it? You think of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. He never did evil. He never even thought about evil. He was never drawn to sin. And his people, he's our representative. His people did everything that he did since we were in him when he did them. You know, Adam made us a sinner, didn't he? By his discipline, we were in Adam. Adam made us sinners. Christ made his people righteous. He made them people that eschew evil because they were in him when he was eschewing evil. Now in our experience, in our actual actions and thoughts, we find we don't eschew evil very well, do we? Now I hope that we've learned to kind of control that outwardly. I, mean, I hope we haven't committed as much outward evil as we think of, you know, as, as, as we would like to. I hope we try not to be evil outwardly, even though it's in our hearts. I mean, I hope we try not to, to act on that too much. But if we are turned from evil, if we're turned from doing evil, if we're turned away from being around wickedness and evil, why are we, why have we turned away from it? The only reason we're restrained from that is God has turned us. When it David who prayed, oh Lord, turn me. If you turn me, I'll be turned. The Lord has turned us. If I'm going to eschew evil and turn away from evil, God's got to be the one to turn me away from it. So in everything, everything, I'm completely dependent on the Lord. That's, that's, what it, that's the only way Job could eschew evil. Now you and I, we're in the same boat Job was in. And you understand, I'm not making excuses for our sin. I'm not making excuses for our bad attitude. I, did, I wish I could not have a bad attitude ever again. <laughs> My word. I wish I wouldn't sin again, and you do too. I mean, you're not sitting there thinking, I can't wait to get out of here. What sin am I going to commit? I mean, you know, we wish we wouldn't sin again. But when we do, and when we do have a bad attitude, and we don't look at things right, this is the believer's assurance. We're completely forgiven in Christ. The Father sees us as forgiven, as righteous, completely righteous, completely holy, completely accepted in the beloved. Now that's the good news of the gospel. See, in order for the gospel to be good news, we've got to tell the ugly truth of who and what we are, don't we? We can't gloss over that. We can't gloss over the wretchedness of our sin. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, all we do is sin. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. Oh, what we are by nature. I mean, just, we can't gloss over that. We can't put on this religious veneer and pretend like we're better than somebody else. No, we're not. No, we're not. But we're redeemed in Christ. We're forgiven in Christ. Our salvation our redemption, our acceptance with the Father. 
that he would see us as men and women who are perfect and upright, fearing God and eschewing evil. Our hope and our confidence of that is God sees me in Christ. Not in what I do. Not in what I do. And I tell you, that's good news. I'd a whole lot rather be saved for Christ's sake than anything I do or don't do, wouldn't you? I hope so. I hope so. I hope God will make it so. Let's bow together. Our Father, this sight that you've given to us of our nature is so humbling. What we are, the the sin that we are, the rebellion that's in our heart, the corruption that's in our heart is so embarrassing and humiliating, even for people who've been taught better, who know better, been had the gospel of Christ preached to us for many, many years. So, Father, how can we even begin to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ? Human language is completely insufficient to express our thanksgiving the glory and the wonder of redemption for sinners is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you take your words that's been preached this morning. Reveal to each one of us here who and what we are. And Father, by your mercy, your grace, and your love, draw us to Christ. Cause us to run to Christ that we might be complete in him. Give him all the glory, all the praise, and all the thanksgiving. For it's in his precious name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right. John, come lead us in a closing hymn.